0: For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel... In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, literally in Hebrew, manna, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot and melted, on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. "'Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning.' So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, "'Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. "'Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none.'" and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, "This is what the Lord has commanded, let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread which with I, which excuse me, with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt." And Moses said to Aaron, "Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations as the Lord commanded Moses." So Aaron placed it before the testimony. To be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An Omer is a tenth part of an Ephah. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, you all are probably familiar with the account of George Mueller, the great missionary who it is said in his lifetime ministered to hundreds of thousands of orphans. And you'll know that George Mueller was a great man of prayer. He was a man who depended on the Lord in prayer. And you probably know that story that is recorded in his diary, where um, the, the cupboards were empty, there was no food in the orphanage. And as they were preparing for bed, George Mueller said to them, children, you know we gotta gotta go to bed for school. And then he lifted up his hands and prayed, father, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. And he sent the kids to bed. And as the story goes, not long after there was a knock on the door early morning and it was a baker and the baker said essentially, I knew you didn't have any bread, and the Lord laid it on my heart to cook bread for you and for the orphans. So I got up at 2 in the morning, and I cooked the bread, and I really think the Lord wants you to have it. And no sooner had that baker left that um, Mueller recounts that that the story is that there was a second knock on the door, and it was the driver of a milk truck that had broken down, and all the milk was going to spoil if the orphans didn't use it. And it's one of those powerful stories because it teaches us the importance of depending on the Lord and how easy it is for the Lord to provide for us, how how slow we are often to call on him and how easy it is for him and his greatness to provide even in unexpected ways. Now, there is almost no starker contrast between the account of George Mueller, depending on the Lord and trusting him for the bread and the food. Then we find about Israel grumbling in the wilderness. They are not trusting the Lord. They are not calling on him. They have seen his goodness. They have been delivered by him. They have experienced his singular power and grace. They have seen him part the Red Sea and destroy their enemies in the same waters by which they were delivered. And they have most recently, very, very recently, seeing him provide them sweet water from the bitter water when they were in Mara, that place called bitterness. God has brought his people into the wilderness. Their souls became bitter. The Lord supernaturally provided that water for them. And you would think that they would trust him fully. But at the end of that account, you'll remember that he brought them to a little oasis called Elam. He gave them a little respite in the wilderness where there were many pools, where there was a whole lot of provision for them. And now they have set off from Elam and they have gone back into their wilderness journey. This is, as it were, the second step that Israel is taking into the wilderness. They are going southeast. And unlike America where you wanna go southeast because it's wonderful, it is not wonderful. It is dry and it is barren and it is hot. And they are going southeast into the wilderness And no sooner do they begin to go south that they begin to grumble. Now, you'll know this, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but Israel was very skilled at grumbling. Um, It was the sin they were the most gifted at performing. They knew how to complain. They were sophisticated in their grumbling. They even knew how to hide who they were really grumbling against. They acted like they were mad at Moses and Aaron, but they were really mad at the Lord. Um, four times in this chapter, verse seven, verse eight, verse nine, and verse twelve, we will read about Israel grumbling. They they find great consolation in complaining, and yet it's against that background that the glory and the goodness and the greatness and the graciousness of God is highlighted. It's not against the background of them trusting the Lord like George Mueller. It's actually against the background of their sin that God and his grace is magnified in the wilderness. Um, It's almost a greater lesson for us than the lesson of the example of George Mueller. Because we see more of how good God is. We see more of how gracious God is. We see more of how God loves to provide for people that don't deserve that provision. I want us to consider just two things tonight. The first, I want to consider the grumbling of Israel. And then, secondly, I want us to consider the gift of the manna. The grumbling of Israel and then the gift of the manna. Well, it's very interesting. Israel says there in verse 3 the people of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Now, um, uh, they are going to say it was better for us to sit by the meat and the bread if we had died than to be out here with you alive without food. Uh, one, one commentator has said it's the converse of Patrick Henry's speech, give me liberty or give me death. They are saying give us bondage or give us death. This is This is how depraved their hearts are, instead of being thankful that the Lord had heard them and delivered them, instead of realizing that he wanted good for them, that he could give them more than they ever imagined in himself, they grumble against the men who gave their lives to shepherding them in the place of the Lord at the Lord's command. Um, It's very interesting, too, here. They say, would that we have died. We sat by the meat pots and ate the bread to the full. You brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, the thing you might miss on a cursory reading reading of this is that Israel actually had provisions. Uh, In the subsequent chapters, they will talk about their livestock. They had livestock with them. Remember, the Lord required that they came out of Egypt with all of their livestock. That meant that they at least had milk and probably could have had cheese, and if things got really bad, they could have killed their animals and had meat. But see, the problem wasn't that they lacked provision. The problem was that they were greedy and discontent. Greed and discontentment was what lay behind them complaining. They had life-sustaining provisions. Phil Ryken puts it this way, this is often the source of our discontentment, Thinking that our greeds, this is hokey, y'all, but I like it. Thinking that our greeds are really our needs. You see, Israel doesn't really have a need. It has greeds. Um, I think about that whenever I catch myself complaining. And, you know, this is not just about Israel. This is about us. We have the same hearts. And whenever I catch myself complaining... Almost 100% of the time, it's because I think I deserve more than what God has given me. It's not that he's actually withholding something I need from me. It's that that I think I deserve more. We taught our kids when they were very little a lesson that we have a hard time learning. We taught them, don't say, I need this. Say, I want this. (laughs) Because usually when they're saying they need something, it's just that they really want something. Israel is doing the exact same thing in the wilderness. They're not content. They're discontent. They have entitled hearts, and and they are rebelling against God because of their greed. Um, Psalm 78, 17, the psalmist put it this way. They continue. They continue to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. Now, Moses is going to help them understand their contention is not with he and Aaron. Their contention is really with the Lord. Notice what he says in verse eight. Moses said, "When the Lord gives you in this evening meat to eat and bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us; it is against the Lord." Um, most ministers have had the infelicitous experience of being the object of the discontentment of the people of God, and and in almost every case, when that happens. It's the same principle with Israel. It is not with the minister. It is with the Lord. The Lord hasn't given us this. If we just had this, if our church had this, if we had this, if we had this, it would be better. Instead of thanking the Lord and trusting the Lord like George Mueller did. Now, God had given Israel every reason to trust him. And yet they had taken all the privileges and they had turned to very discontent and greedy um, and rebellious children of God. Now, one of the interesting things is when we come to the New Testament and and we, we really see that the solution to a grumbling spirit is to learn contentment in Christ. It's very interesting that the most misquoted verse in the Bible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me on every basketball wall in every Christian school, is not about winning the state championship with your basketball team. Paul actually says, he actually says this, I'm I'm not speaking of being in need. The the, the church had just given him this large gift, and he thanks them for it. He said, but I'm not speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul says, "I I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. You see, it's not our circumstances, it's our hearts. Paul says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isn't that marvelous that the rare jewel of Christian contentment, as Jeremiah Burroughs called it in his great book, is to learn that we can be content wherever the Lord has us, in any situation, Because of Christ. You know where this is modeled in Paul's life, and I've always been astonished by this. Remember when Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel, and they're singing hymns in prison. I mean, that's so amazing that even the band Fish, who is very far from Christian, has a whole song about Paul and Silas in prison. Because that is remarkable, because no one sings praises to god in prison unless they have learned the secret of joy and contentment in christ they knew that god had them right where they wanted them israel should have learned that lesson god has us right where he wants us now it's easy for me to say that to you and it's hard to put this into practice it's easy to talk about these things and to know them it's a lot harder for them to sink down into our hearts Um, We are all, as I've said, very deeply discontented people by nature. And the key and, and the test of when we really are content is not when things are going well, but when they're hard. It's when God brings us into the wilderness that we have to learn to be content. That's the real test of whether or not we are being controlled by our circumstances because of the greed and the discontentment. And the sense of entitlement in our hearts. Well, notice I've already told you that it was against the background of the grumbling of Israel that God actually provides for them. It's interesting. You would expect the Lord to say to Moses, listen, I have heard the grumbling of my people and I am going to destroy them. That's what you would expect. That would be a just response on God's part. But the Lord doesn't say that. He, he has heard the people and he says in verse four, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And then all of the details about what he's going to do with the quail in the morning and the bread in the evening. Um, why? Why? Why would the Lord respond to a grumbling and complaining people by saying, I'm going to show them. Just how much I can give them. I think there are four reasons why. There are four reasons for the gift of the manna. And and we'll include the quail with the manna when we talk about the manna. There are four reasons. The first is God's glory. You'll notice in the passage that Moses will actually say to the people That at evening, verse 6, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling. The big reason God is going to do this for them is he wants them to see his glory. Now, we've we've talked about that word. The word glory in Hebrew kavod, means weight, weightiness. God wants them to know the weightiness of his majesty. He wants them to know the perfections of his being. He wants them to know who he is. He wants his name known among them, and he wants to remind them that it was him who brought them out of Egypt. He wants to remind them who it was that has redeemed them from the bondage that they were in in Egypt. Phil Reichen puts it this way. He, he says that God gave them bread to show that he was the lord this was something he had already proven to his enemies he showed the egyptians who he was by drowning them in the chariots now he's going to show his people the same thing only he's going to do it by meeting their needs isn't that interesting back with the plagues the lord said then you will know that i am the lord When I utterly destroy you, you will know that I am the Lord. Now he's saying, when I provide for you supernaturally and rain down bread from heaven, you will know that I am the Lord. Now, it's very interesting. God is not just giving them leftover bread or stale bread. He is giving them the best bread. Um, He is raining down on them something they can't even understand what it is. This is... This is so beyond their comp- comprehension; they've never seen anything like it. Sounds wonderful. I want some manna. Um, and yet, and yet, we know that people are going to get—they're going to get sick of it. They're going to grumble. We, we hate this worthless bread. And yet, in the descriptions about it, God's glory is manifested even in the the, the way in which He's giving this soul-satisfying and sweetening, life-sustaining, supernatural gift to them. Um, it's very interesting. Verse 31 says that it was like wafers made with honey. Sign me up for that. Seriously, wafers made with honey. If you don't like that, there's something deeply wrong. And then it's so stupendous that in Psalm 78, 25, the psalmist calls it angel food. Angel food. When I was a kid, I loved Angel's food cake. Oh, man, that stuff was so good. This was better than that. God's glory is seen in, in just how wonderful the provision was um, against the background of their grumbling. Isn't that remarkable? Against the background of their grumbling, he's going to display his glory in giving them this. And in relationship to how good this is, he is also secondly displaying his goodness. This is the goodness of the Lord. He's going to give them meat they don't have to work for. He's going to give them bread they don't have to labor for. Think about that. They don't have to go out and get the grain and make sure that it's grown properly and grind it and beat it and cook it and prepare everything. They just go out and God in his goodness has given them more than what they need. And his goodness is seen in that he's going to do it recurrently. It's not just a one-time act. We sometimes miss this. The greatness of the manna is that God says, in my goodness, I am not only going to do this one time against your grumbling, I'm going to do it for the entirety of your sojourning through the wilderness. Forty years. Now, that's amazing. God wants his people to see his goodness. He wants you to understand more of his goodness. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have a God who is a harsh taskmaster, who wants to keep goodness from us. I think sometimes we mistakenly think about the Lord that way. Instead, everywhere in Scripture, God is showing us just how good he is so that we would praise him for that goodness, so that we would thank him for that goodness. And as we've already said, so that we would make him known for his glory, for his namesake, that he is the good and, and, and generous God. Now, there is also, and this is a different word than goodness, there is a sense in which God is displaying his greatness in the manna. He is going to give the people more than they could ask for. He is also going to make it last longer than they think it could if they were to obey him in the test. He is showing just how great he is. Those that gathered too little in their mind didn't have A lack, and those who gathered too much didn't have any left over. God is so great. He meets his people's needs perfectly, in abundance, perpetually and continually. Um, You know, Charles Spurgeon said this, and I, I have to read this to you. This is wonderful. You know, the Lord, in the instructions about this gift, told the people that they had to gather the manna every day, and and he was testing them. There's a test in all of this, but they had to gather it every day, and if they they didn't, it would go bad. And then they had to stop gathering on the Sabbath, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but why did the Lord provide it new every day for the people? This is what Spurgeon said. The Lord taught them the continuity of his remembrance by its coming every day. If he had sent one great rain of liberalities to refresh his inheritance, if he had bid, bidden them gather up the vast store and carry it with them in all their journeys, they could not so well have learned his care as when he sent it fresh every morning. That was really wordy. If he just rained down a bunch and they gathered it all, they wouldn't understand his, his continual goodness and greatness. As he does, giving it to them every morning anew. Spurgeon says this. He says, they would have had the burden of carrying it. Think about this. If God just said, here's a really great load of bread, and I'm going to make it last a long time, but you're going to have to carry it with you. That would have been a burden. Spurgeon said, they would have had the burden of carrying it. They were free from that. The heavenly supplies were always close at hand. The heavenly supplies were always close at hand. Exactly at the spot where they pitched their tents, every morning, there was the manna precisely where they needed it. Without any man's shoulder being made raw by carrying his food in his kneading trough. Isn't that amazing? God, every morning, provided for them. By the way, I do think when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer give us this day our daily bread he is very well reflecting on the principle that the Lord was teaching Israel every day he would provide for them so that every day they would trust him and that they would recognize every day that he was caring for them and that they needed him every day and that everything they had came from him I've probably told you this I remember Sinclair Ferguson telling a story to a group of um, believers, many of whom were doctors and lawyers. And and I I think assuming there were some unbelievers there present, uh, he was preaching on give us this day our daily bread. And Ferguson said, you know, you may be one of those scientific types. You may have been very successful in life. He said, and you may think I don't need to trust God for, for my daily bread. He said, because I just get up and go to the fridge and it is full because I work hard. And I have made sure I have everything I need. And Ferguson said, the problem is you can't even get on your feet and walk to the refrigerator to open the door if God doesn't give you breath and the ability to do so. Very powerful sentiment. Um, God is teaching Israel about his goodness and greatness, but about their need to recognize that in daily dependence on him. Now, the fourth category of what he's showing them is his graciousness. And this has kind of been woven through the whole thing. This is the marvelous, amazing grace of God. Why does the Lord give a grumbling people what he gives them? Because he is gracious. Why does he give us anything good? Spiritually, materially, because he's gracious. You know, we deserve nothing but judgment. We deserve nothing. And yet the Lord just continually Shows us his grace continually, gives us more of Christ, feeds us spiritually, gives us physical and material possessions and houses and automobiles and food and clothing and and more than we could ever handle because he's gracious, because he's gracious. The Lord is wanting to display that grace. Now, here's what's interesting, and you already know this. All of this is moving to the coming of christ and you know that jesus performed those miracles of multiplying the loaves an analogous miracle to the bread coming down from heaven and you know in john chapter six that the people say to him look moses gave us bread in the wilderness what are you going to give us and jesus responds by saying "Uh, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they are dead But I am the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus is saying, I am what the manna pointed to. The manna was descending from heaven. It was coming down from God to nourish the people, to teach the people about God's glory, his goodness, his greatness, and his graciousness. The very provision of the manna itself was a mark of the grace of God, and, it, and why didn't God destroy the people for their grumbling? Why did he give them manna? Because he's gracious. But that grace is costly. Because the Lord Jesus would have to stand in our place, a man who never grumbled, and never complained. When he was mocked, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil for 40 years, he picked up that word out of Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, and he recognized that there was something more necessary for the souls of God's people and that he would be that provision for them. You can take everything in this chapter and you can run it through the filter of the gospel, and and you can unpack the details about the gathering of the manna and and we can learn things like this like every day every single morning god wants to give you more of christ he wants you to feed you with more of his son and and what is the detail about the sabbath day why were they not to gather on the sabbath because They were to they were to be saying that worshiping the Lord was the most important thing. And when does the Lord feed the souls of his people with the heavenly man of Jesus Christ more than on the Lord's day? That was the point of that, that there there was something more important than the physical bread. The physical bread was pointing to the spiritual bread of Christ. He said, I am the bread. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And every time we worship, every Lord's Day, we are saying, I am depending on you to give me what I need more than anything. And when people stop doing that, it's because they're full of the world. And that's when they grumble and complain. You know, it's interesting when you read this account through the lens of the Gospels and through Christ. And I remember this as a young Christian thinking, how could everyone not want to feed on the Lord Jesus every day, every Lord's Day, to get as much Christ as possible? I mean, this account is teaching us that, that God will just keep giving you more of Christ if you're really hungry for him. There's there's a never-ending supply. And, and you know, it's interesting, do, the manna went into the Ark of the Covenant. At the end of the chapter, God tells Moses and Aaron to take some, and it'll it'll go into the Ark of the Covenant. What's the point of that? It goes in there with Aaron's rod that budded and the Ten Commandments. And, and remember, it goes over at the mercy seat with the blood of the sacrifice and the Shekinah glory, the two angels, one at the head and one at the feet, as it were, of the Ark, and the glory of God shining through there. When God would see the blood, he would manifest himself What is the point of the manna in the ark? God is saying that I want to give you my son. This is what you need for sustenance every day of your life. Don't go and try to fill yourself with the things of the world so that you're not hungry for Christ. There is only one thing that keeps us from wanting to feed on Christ, and that is filling up with things that can never satisfy us. Um you know, there's a spiritual mystery here. Even the word manna, the people didn't know what it was. They said, what is it? That's what they called it. What is it? And and when most of the people heard Jesus in his earthly ministry, they didn't flee to him and say, Lord, I need you. They said, who are you? You see, they couldn't see. They didn't have the spiritual eyes of faith to see what God was showing them in this symbol. Um. I'm going to read this to you. I wrote this a number of years ago. The life-sustaining bread that is Christ causes those to feed on him by faith to live forever. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, which came down from heaven. Just as those in the wilderness called the bread in the wilderness, what is it? Many said of Christ, who are you? Unless the Lord opens the eyes of the hearts of men and women, they cannot see the one who is the antitype of the manna, Men may seek Christ for the bread that perishes. Remember, he said to them, do not seek me. Do not labor for the bread that perishes, but for the bread that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. They will not seek him for the life-giving provision of his flesh and blood until by the Spirit he makes them see that he is the bread that came down from heaven. Um, You know, I love two hymns, and we're going to sing God Me O Thou Great Jehovah here in a moment, but I love that line, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. That's, that's what we're supposed to take away from this, feed me till I want no more. We're never going to reach that point in this life where we have too much of Christ, where we're too satisfied in Christ, where we're too close to Christ, where we're, we're communing too much with Christ where we're drawing comfort from the grace of the Lord Jesus. We're never going to reach a point in this life where we can ever say, you know, I have made it. I have enough of Christ. And so we want to sing those hymns, Feed Me Till I Want No More, and then I love the words of that hymn, Glorious things of thee are spoken. Round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear for a glory and a covering, showing that the Lord is near, thus deriving from their banner light by night and shade by day, safe they feed upon the manna, which he gives them on their way. You know what God is doing for you right now? He is raining manna down in the preaching of Christ. And he is saying, let me feed your soul with my son. He is saying, look at the cross. I've taken your grumbling. I've taken your bitterness. I've taken your rebellion. I've taken your sin. I've put it on my son. He has been beaten and ground. He has been made into life-sustaining bread for your soul. And I give it to you freely, graciously, to show you my goodness, my greatness, and my glory. That's the God we have. Isn't that wonderful? And he wants to feed you and he wants you to say, feed me, feed me till I want no more. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do recognize that we are all too often just like Israel. Lord, we have been a grumbling and complaining people too often in our lives Um, coveting things that you have kept from us and seeking to find satisfaction in things that can never satisfy us. We thank you this evening for this renewed glimpse of your goodness and greatness and your graciousness in giving Israel in the old covenant that manna, but giving us spiritually the bread that came down from heaven, the Lord Jesus. Father, would you enable us to feed on him by faith, And to keep feeding on him. We do pray that you would make us a people who depend on you for our daily bread physically. But we pray that you would make us a people that rely on you for that spiritual daily bread. Even new glimpses and new manifestations of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father would you do that for us. And do that in us. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.